Welcome to the Davy Tree Expert Company's podcast, Talking Trees. I'm your host, Doug Oster. Each episode showcases one of Davy's certified arborists sharing advice with everyone about caring for your trees and landscapes. We'll talk about everything from introduced pests, seasonal tree care, deer damage, how to make your trees thrive, and much, much more. Tune in every Thursday to learn more because here at the Talking Trees Podcast, we know trees are the answer. Our guest today is R.J. Laverne. He is the manager of education and training for the Davy Tree Expert Company. R.J., how are you today? I'm doing quite well. Thank you. And you? I'm doing great. And it's so funny when I talk to anybody in the tree business and I start to ask them about their favorite trees, I, I'm expecting some kind of weird thing I've never heard about before, but so often I hear sugar maples. Grow some sugar maples because they're a great shade tree and they're also beautiful in the fall. But of course, we think of uh, a sugar maple as something that we can make, make maple syrup out of, right? Yes, and uh, and I would certainly put that species in my top five as well. What are some other things about that tree that makes it so good for you? The, just the things I talked about or, or other things too? Well, I guess it depends on uh, what perspective you have. I, I in, a, in addition to being a forester and arborist, I'm also a, uh, a woodworker. So from the, the forestry side, uh, I love the tree because of its, uh, its durability and uh, it's relatively resistant to insect pests and uh, diseases. Uh, I love the environment where it grows. And from the, uh, the woodworking side, it's just a beautiful, um, light, creamy color wood to uh, work with. It's very dense, uh, but works nicely with, uh, with hand tools or power tools. Well, as a woodworker, I think you've picked the perfect job because you have access to all sorts of different types of wood from from work, right? Uh, that's uh, one of the one of the benefits. So, in addition to uh, looking for for wood that I can use in my wood shop, I'm always looking for wood that I can use in my wood stove, and uh, that's one of the benefits of working for Baby Tree. I have yet to have to pay for a single stick of, uh, of firewood. Uh, another benefit for working for the Davy tree expert company. It just goes on and on. And on. <laughs> All right. Let's talk a little bit more about sugar maples. If I have sugar maples in my landscape, can I make uh, maple syrup from them? Well, the short answer is yes, but, uh, the better answer is you'd better have a lot of sugar maples. Uh, because otherwise you're, you're not likely to get as much syrup as you will need for a single pancake on a, a sunny Sunday morning. How, how much, uh, how much of the, the sap does it take to make some maple syrup? To get one gallon of, uh, maple syrup, you'll need on average about 40 gallons of sap from, uh, the sugar maple tree. I guess I'll just drive into Amish country and get the real thing then, huh? Um, you could do that. That would probably be uh, the more efficient way to go at it. I wonder, are sugar maples the only type of maple that you can make maple syrup from? Well, um, 
No, you can actually pull sap from other species of, of maples, including red maple and silver maple. Um, but the sugar maple species has uh, the highest concentration of, of sugar in the sap and will give the highest quality of uh, maple syrup. And actually, uh, any of the trees uh, potentially could be tapped. So uh, you could make syrup from walnut trees, from hickory trees, mm. from birch trees, because all of these species of trees create sugar in the in the process of photosynthesis. But uh, it is certainly the maples, and in particular the sugar maple, that has the, uh, the highest quality, uh, highest concentration of sugars in the sap. Yeah, so anybody making maple syrup is going to use a sugar maple, right? Well, no? you can certainly uh, buy... Um, what is labeled as maple syrup that will be um, primarily from uh, other species, uh, notably red maple and silver maple. Depending on, on where you go in the country and you buy your syrup. So um, sugar maples tend to like uh, northern climates. So when you're in places like uh, Michigan and Vermont and, uh, and Maine, uh, Minnesota, more than likely the the maple syrup that you get from those regions will indeed come from sugar maple. But as you work your way farther south, uh, sugar maples tend to become more sparse and the uh, the red maples and silver maples are a little bit more plentiful. So as you work your way south, your your pancake syrup uh, may very well come from these other species. Oh, that's interesting. But in your opinion, sugar maples make the best maple syrup? Uh, in my humble opinion, I would certainly agree. Now, let's talk a little bit about frost cracking on trees. Tell me what that is and, and how it happens. Well, it usually takes place on, on tree species that have relatively thin bark. Uh, and those are primarily the, uh, the younger trees. And some species are are more susceptible to uh, frost crack than others. Um, Norway maple is one that comes to mind. And what causes these cracks is uh, in late winter and early spring, when the sap starts to flow and uh, kind of as a sidebar. So what really kicks in uh, the sap flow in maple trees and in other trees is when the the temperatures in late winter early spring drop below freezing at night and they rise above freezing during the daytime so when you get sunny days in the late winter early spring that's when the trees will will really start uh, with the sap flow what causes the okay. the frost cracks is when the sap really starts to flow in late winter and early spring. Right. And you get these shifts between uh, sub-freezing temperatures and above-freezing temperatures. The sap will start flowing in the, in the vessels in the tree uh, when it's warm during the day. And then if you get a rapid decrease in temperature, 
the liquid sap that is starting to flow in the vessels in the tree um, will quickly freeze. And as the sap freezes, it, it expands. And that's what causes the, the cracks in the, um, uh, in, the, in the bark and in the uh, uh, outer layers of the wood. Uh, are there any other species besides maples that are also prone to frost cracking? Yes, and again, it's it's primarily those um, those broadleaf species uh, that have relatively thin bark um, as they're as they're young. So, uh, birch trees, uh, to some extent, the uh, the hickory trees, any of those trees when they're young that uh, that start pumping the sap uh, early in the springtime and uh, are subjected to those rapid declines in temperature can experience the frost cracks. But we see that primarily on uh, on the maples, uh, especially red maples and, and Norway maples. You'll probably notice also that the, the frost cracks will occur primarily on the, uh, the south-facing uh, sides of the tree because that's where the, the sunlight will hit uh, that face of the tree. And, uh, and so the southern part of the tree will, will tend to warm up more uh, than will the northern side. And then if you uh, get the sap flowing and, uh, and you have a rapid decrease in temperature in the nighttime, uh, that's when you're, you'll have a tendency to get more of the cracking. And when a tree is young, is, is this a serious thing? Could this be a, a fatal thing for, for a tree, depending on the severity? Well, for the most part, the, the cracking occurs um, through the bark and, uh, and, and just underneath the bark. Frost cracks rarely go deeply uh, into the wood, uh, into the uh, heartwood. Um, but any time that you have a, a break through the bark, and uh, into the wood of the tree, uh, there is some damage to uh, the the circulatory system of the tree, if you will, because all of the the water that is coming from the roots um, is drawn up through the most recent growth rings of the tree, right underneath the bark, and all of the the sugars, all of the photosynthates that the tree makes in photosynthesis um, flow down from the top of the tree on the inner layer of bark. So all of that movement of water going up the tree and sugars coming down from the tree, all of that happens uh, in a, a thin zone right underneath the bark. So when you have a crack that, that, um, that disrupts that, uh, you have a, a, a momentary... Um, pause, if you will, in uh, a small area of the, the circulatory system of the tree at that point. Also, over a longer term, anytime you open up a wound uh, through the bark and into the wood, uh, that is a, a potential port of entry for decay-producing organisms. So, uh, Fungus spores can enter those cracks and uh, decay can become uh, established. And over the period of, of years, that decay can advance. So in most cases, when we see frost cracks on trees, 
those cracks will seal over. They won't heal over in, in the same way that our skin uh, heals over when, when we cut through it. The tree can't create new wood cells to replace those damaged wood cells, but they can create new wood cells that will seal over the crack. And in most cases, those uh, frost cracks will will seal over with the uh, the following year's growth. That leads me to my next question. Should I do anything when I see a tree with a frost crack? No. And um, the conventional wisdom used to be uh, when there was a wound on the tree, for example, if we would uh, prune a branch off of a tree, the conventional wisdom used to be that uh, whether it was a pruning wound or a crack, we would try to seal it over um, almost like putting a Band-Aid on us when we get a, uh, a cut in our skin. And the problem with that is that there are always fungal spores that are floating in the air. And when you, when you cover over a crack or over a, uh, a pruning cut, for example, you're really making a, uh, a nice, warm, dark incubator for those fungal spores that have already landed on the wound. And so the best thing that you can do for a tree that has a, a, frost, a frost crack or has an open wound from, uh, say, a pruning site, is to leave the crack open, leave the uh, the pruning wound open to the sunlight and to the air, um, because those uh, conditions are not conducive to the germination of the fungal sp um, spores. So really leaving it open to the sunlight uh, uh, is about the best that you can do. One thing I was thinking about when I, we were talking specifically about sugar maples is how can they be identified in the winter? Or is that something that is identified by the homeowner, or by, by the person who's getting the, uh, the sap during the spring when you see the leaves? Can you tell what a sugar maple looks like in the winter? Yes. Um, so the, the first way to identify whether the tree is a, a maple versus, say, an oak um, or uh, a hickory or a uh, walnut, for example. If you look closely at the at the small twigs on the branches, maple trees will have the twigs and indeed the branches coming out in in pairs on opposite sides of the branch. And so when you look at the upper crown of the tree and you see that the twigs, are coming out in these pairs that are opposite of one another. That is an indicator that you're looking at either a maple tree, an ash tree, or a dogwood tree. Um, those are the, th the three uh, major types of trees that have this opposite branching. Most other trees like, uh, like oaks and birches and hickories and walnuts will have twigs that come off of the branches in an alternate uh, pattern. So you'll have one twig that comes off on one side of the branch, and then there'll be a little space of uh, a few inches, and, and then you'll have another twig that comes off on the opposite side. So um, simply by looking at the arrangement of the twigs, you'll get an idea that you're looking at a maple tree. 
And then within the, the species of maples, the way that you can easily identify a sugar maple from uh, the other two major maples that we see, the red maples and the silver maples, or Norway maple for that matter, is the size and the shape of the buds. Sugar maples will have relatively small, dark brown, pointy buds uh, at the ends of the twigs. Uh, and when you, you look at the twigs, um, you almost won't be able to tell that there is a bud at the end of the twig. On the other hand, with the silver maples and the red maples, um, they'll look like they have little red BBs that uh, are attached to the, to the end of the twigs. And you'll be able to see these, these little round um, BBs that, uh, uh, that are the, the buds um, from a fair distance. And then on the Norway maples, uh, they also have uh, buds that are quite a bit larger than a sugar maple. And if you look at the, the buds of a Norway maple, um, they're not uh, perfectly spherical like you see on a red or a, a silver. But if you use your imagination and you look at the buds on a Norway maple, it looks like a beak of a puffin bird. Hmm. Some people think it looks like the beak of a parrot. I think it looks more like a puffin. But just looking at the size and the uh, the shape of the buds will uh, help you identify um, the various species of maples. Tell me a little bit about why this job is right for you. How how did you come into to loving trees and and learning so much about trees and now being able to teach uh, arborists and others about trees? Well, I have to make a confession first. Um, it wasn't always my intent to be a forester or an arborist. Uh, when I was a, a young boy, my, um, my hero was the great uh, oceanographer Jacques Cousteau. And I wanted more than anything to be a marine biologist. And so when I, uh, I uh, started in, in college, I enrolled in a biology um, program with the intent of going on to be a marine biologist. And about three years into my studies, it occurred to me that I didn't know how to swim and that the job opportunities for a marine biologist that couldn't swim were probably pretty narrow. <laughs> and, uh, and so it was at that point that, um, uh, I shifted gears and uh, decided that I wanted to go into forestry. And I guess that was probably because uh, when I grew up in Detroit, um, the house we lived in um, uh, on, the, on the back fence, you could jump over the back fence and, uh, and be in a undeveloped woodlot that was, I don't know, maybe five to 10 acres. And I spent an awful lot of time roaming through this little woodlot when I was, uh, when I was a boy. So that's where I got my my first um, introduction to uh, to how trees grow, and so I went on to get my forestry degree, and um, and then little by little, after working in uh, in traditional forestry in uh, northern Michigan and and uh, in Maine, uh, I came to um, realize that I I really was interested in trees in cities. I guess that's just because I grew up in a city. 
And that's what drew me to the uh, Davy Tree Expert Company. And I have uh, enjoyed a, uh, a lengthy career of, of working with trees in, in communities. Well, I wanted to finish up and, and ask you a little bit about what you get out of that part of your job, that, that educating and training uh, people all over the country. Well, the interesting thing about it is, is that our, our company, the Davy Tree Expert Company, um, takes a lot of pride in, in our history and, and even in the name of the company. But in reality, we have never gotten a phone call from a tree that uh, has, has said, uh, I'm sick, can you come and look at me? And we've never gotten a paycheck from, uh, from a tree after we've provided the help. It's always been the, the homeowner or the municipal arborist um, that we get the phone call from that's uh, saying, can you come and help us uh, with our trees? Um, or, uh, or even the the students that are, are learning forestry or arboriculture. So in addition to my work at Davy Tree, I also uh, am on the faculty at Michigan Technological University where I teach the, uh, the urban forestry course. And so it's, it's a really good day when I get to spend time with hands uh, on trees and, and walking through the, uh, the forest. But it's a really, really good day if I get to spend uh, time with people who are interested in trees, perhaps uh, uh, people that are seeking uh, help for their landscape trees, and um, and we get to share ideas about these incredible living organisms that provide us uh, so many benefits from oxygen production to uh, uh, reducing air pollutants to reducing stormwater runoff to giving us uh, sap for maple syrup and, uh, and wood for our fireplaces and our, our humble wood shops. Well, RJ, we're going to leave it right there. Thanks for all the great information and the great stories. It's been my pleasure. Uh, anytime I can talk trees, it's, uh, it's a good day. Tune in every Thursday to the Talking Trees podcast from the Davy Tree Expert Company. I'm your host, Doug Oster. Next week, we're talking all about the best wood for the fireplace and have important information about chainsaw safety. Remember, on the Talking Trees podcast, we know the trees are the answer. <laughs>